1: It is Friday, June the 19th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. In seven days' time, counting of ballots should be pretty much drawing to a close among Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Green Party on whether to enter a three-way coalition government. And... Nothing, of course, is guaranteed, but I think it's pretty fair to say that most eyes will be on the Green Party count, where the vote will be tightest, not least because a two-thirds majority is required for the motion to be passed. There was a marathon virtual meeting of the party yesterday with closing words from party leader Eamon Ryan, who joins us now. Hi, Eamon. Good morning, Hugh. How are you? And also here is our political correspondent, Harry McGee. I'm fine, Hi, huh, Eamon, by the way. Thanks. Eamon, If you don't mind, I'll go to Harry first, because, Harry, you were observing these proceedings yesterday. Uh, A nine hour Zoom meeting sounds tough to me. How did it go?
0: Yeah, um, I I was telling friends last night that uh, it was almost like being plunged into an endless Zoom loop or a Zoom vortex, a kind of Hieronymus Bosch nightmare scenario. But like a lot of things in Covid, it was fascinating and uh, and it was uh, an amazing uh, nine hours. Now, of course, it wasn't a live meeting. So there weren't any raised voices or uh, any of the kind of the febrile atmosphere or the shouty, shouty stuff that you get or the inflamed passions on either side. Or there was no applause. But having said that, um, most of the public representatives spoke, over 70 members spoke, spoke on either side. Uh, Some laid out their stalls matter of factly. Some were more passionate in the way they expressed themselves. But it was a fascinating exercise uh, of uh democracy uh, in action and it showed a party fully discussing a uh, uh, a very very big uh, uh, a seminal decision that it will have to make in relation to uh, its own uh, future and um w- w- there were a couple of things that were noteworthy to me i think there was a division in terms of age i think more, most of the younger members would be against a uh, coalition and i think that usually follows patterns in political parties where the younger members tend to be the more idealistic and uh, the less willing to, to compromise. I think as people get older, maybe they get more tired and jaded or maybe they have taken a bite of a reality sandwich and they do seem to be more uh, willing uh, to compromise uh, to uh, the views of, of others. Uh, the, other, the second thing that I noticed is that there was a huge overlap between those who were against and those who were in favour in terms of the views that they felt concerned about. I mean, they were all concerned about the same views. It was just a degree uh, of uh, importance or the degree of vitality they attached to them. So some looked at housing, uh, looked at um, the Palestine question, looked at the questions of inequality uh, looked at the way in which the, the budget deficit uh, would be dealt with, with slightly different prisms. Some thought that, that they were just absolutely deal breakers, whereas for others, they thought, yes, it's not ideal. But it's something that we can work on. Uh, they took a more pragmatic or a more realistic uh, view. Uh, third thing that I thought was noteworthy was the Catherine Martin speech, which was very uh, uh, highly anticipated because if we cast her mind back, she was one of the four TDs who who opposed going into coalition. Uh, then she led the negotiating team. On Monday night, she said that she was going to uh, support uh, the Greens going into government. But people weren't sure as to the degree uh, of her uh, support, uh, was she going to support it unreservedly or were there conditions attached? And there were conditions attached, but she gave it a very, very strong endorsement yesterday and made a very fine speech in which she laid out the pros and the cons. And I think she kind of summarised, you know, where the Greens are at and all the Greens recognised that, that they didn't get everything that they wanted. But the fact that she uh, backed it so strongly... I think, uh, came as a great boon to those who want to go into coalition. And then right at the end of the day, uh, Nasa Hurigan uh, closed the debate uh, for those who were uh, uh, against going in. And she made a very strong speech as well. Uh, Wide ranging criticisms of the deal that had been uh, agreed. Uh, quite scathing in part, she saying that this government uh, will um, be the most fiscally conservative government in a generation. Uh, she said that not alone would this particular government not solve the problems of housing and homelessness, as uh, she argued, that it would exacerbate it. And to those who said to her, well, you know, if we don't go in, we are missing the boat. Uh, she came up with probably the best line of the nine hours uh, in terms of a soundbite. She said, yes, we might be missing the boat, uh, but that boat could very well be the Titanic. And that was a, a powerful kind of sting in the tail at, at the end. Uh, when it looked like momentum was going in a particular direction. And then Eamon himself uh, closed the conference uh, with another uh, uh, very uh, uh, telling speech, a uh, very important speech, in which he also made the points well. And he kind of rebutted uh, what uh, NASA had saying, saying, no, it won't be an austerity uh, government. It will be a, a, a government that won't be backsliding into into uh, 10 years ago. Uh, it will be uh, an expansionist government. government we're going to borrow. And it will be the government that uh, forwards uh, the new Green Deal in terms of economics. So um, th- that was the, the 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 thrust of the meeting. The other things that I think that were interesting uh, from the point of view of the number of crunches people looking at as to how the vote will go next week is that two thirds of the voters or two thirds of the members who actually spoke, uh, spoke in favour of going into government, uh, which shows that momentum is kind of swinging towards uh, a yes vote. And uh, there was some concern about the northern uh, members of the party who might be more instinctively against coalition because they, you know, they, they, they have a slightly different perspective on things than there is the southern counterparts. But actually only a quarter of the membership of the North registered, which shows that maybe there won't be as big an influence as had been uh, thought. That said, two thirds is a very high bar and uh, it's got, it would be difficult for any party. So you can't really say with any confidence that uh that they're going to go in, but it does seem that, you know, that they're inching in that direction at this moment in time.
1: Eamon, uh, it's great to have you on today. I want to touch on a couple of those issues of policy and strategy and principle which which Harry mentioned were were discussed yesterday. But first, you know, the, the first rule of politics is knowing how to count. I presume you're looking at all this. Two-thirds is a high barrier. Um, does the proportion of speakers yesterday reflect what you think is the overall mood in the party? Uh, if so, that would make it a pretty tight vote next week, wouldn't it?
2: I think it is very tight and I think that does probably reflect... Uh uh, views. It's it's very hard to know. Would Would people who are willing to speak be more kind of inclined one way or the other? You, you can't really know. But but I think all of us are are engaged now in a very uh active campaign of the next number of days uh, when the ballots go out and people have that vote. We've not just the meeting we had yesterday that nine hour meeting, but we're we're having meetings ongoing all over the country. Um, and actually, what Ari says is true. It's it's funny how it's working out in a way which is very participative. I mean, the meeting yesterday, I think, was a real success. Our, our team did an amazing technological job and kind of having about 5,000 people linking in at various stages, never going below a 1,000 viewers at any time. And and as Harry said, a very kind of robust and, and respectful uh, debate backwards and forwards. Um and that's been the same for months now. We've been engaging webinars and Zoom meetings with our members and our councillors around the country. So so nothing is certain. I, I I'll be honest. I think it's it's very close. It's very, too hard to call yet. Uh, I'm hoping there will be a yes, because I think um well, I think for the reasons I said yesterday, I think it's it's it is the right thing to do, but but it's it's by no means certain
1: yet. In your absence, we've been talking an awful lot about the Green Party. Not surprisingly, on this podcast over the last two or three two or three weeks, in particular, and there have been some statements uh, flung out by some of our our contributors about the the shape of the party now. That uh, suggestion that it's changed enormously. Obviously, there's been a significant influx of new members in the last couple of years, that there's a generational divide, which which Harry mentioned there, and perhaps a new, slightly new kind of an ideological divide with members of the party, some members of the party being closer to um, the parties of the left, which will be outside government should this dispensation uh, happen in the next couple of weeks. What do you make of all that as somebody who's been a, a member of the party for so long and in fact a leader for more than nine years now?
2: And member for over thirty, with God Almighty, and many years. Um, I don't think it's necessarily new or completely different. There's has always been. There have always been kind of different views within a party, which I think is healthy. I think maybe one of the things that's slightly different is the media and the you know the social networks. And I know this is a cliché thing to say, but I do think it kind of it has it brings real benefits and also some weaknesses. The, the nature of debate sometimes on online. Uh, forum can be kind of, can tend towards a more, I don't know, it's weird, you kind of, it, it tends toward more um, polarisation of views. Um, and, and that's not, I've not been critical of anyone in our party or, or, or I think it's, it's, people are seeing that in every form of political life. Uh, so maybe that's one of the things that's different now to 20, 30 years ago. But um, I, I think actually yesterday um the what we had yesterday that debate will be really helpful in terms of whatever decision we make where we go next because it's very it's a difficult thing to do but actually giving everyone um th- their voice and and in a respectful way and in, in a really well organized way that that I think really helps that that was ten times better than you could have set up a thousand whatsapp groups you could have a thousand Twitter feed whatever. But actually, that meeting yesterday, which brought people together, even if it wasn't in a physical way, it was very much in a in a democratic assembly. That actually, I think, helps. And and I think maybe one of the again, lessons out of this COVID is is maybe moving politics in that direction. Greater engagement. Um, and I was just thinking, I said, if so, let's say if if we do manage to get into government, one of the things maybe you do is you'd go all around the country straight away. You'd engage with every county council across the country. And you could do that now in a way you couldn't have done in the past. You know, you can visit Kerry County Council in a Zoom meeting in a way that you don't have a ten-hour round trip to to make it happen. So, so maybe some of the lessons from from what happened in our own party and and what the success I think of what happened yesterday is to is to go with that as a way of providing a space which isn't just the keyboards fighting with each other, which which tends to be um, not just in our party, but, but in all parties, a modern phenomenon that, that brings certain downsides as well as upsides.
1: Mm. I, I noticed from Harry's report of uh, of yesterday's proceedings that uh, one of the phrases you used in your contribution was, you said that you didn't want to be fighting the last war, by which I I think you meant that this is a very different political environment now than it was the last time that the, the Greens went into government. But... Um, could I push back against that a, a tiny bit and say? I mean, you and John Gormley obviously were senior members of the of that government, the two thousand and seven to two thousand and eleven one, and um, I've I've seen a critique of the Greens' performance in that government, which was essentially that there was all this senior hurling nonsense that went on around the fact that the Greens were in government for the first time. And that uh, it has been said that the Greens took that too seriously and that therefore perhaps didn't take some actions which might have been better both for them and for the country at that point when the financial crisis hit. That maybe you should have pulled the plug on Brian Cowan. Maybe you should have said our red lines are our red lines. And the reason I ask about that is that it's quite possible that some new version of that in this new dispensation might happen if, for example, the bleaker economic prognostications of what happens post-pandemic come come into play. Can you guarantee to listeners and to voters that your red lines will be harder than the last time? Or do you think you did what was right the last time?
2: Well, first thing I can say last time and um Okay, we negotiated a program for government in 2007, but we also renegotiated one in 2009, which had to be done because the circumstances had changed completely from you know two years previously. And actually, in that reform revised program for government 2009, I think actually we had huge influence on what happened and uh, and uh, set out uh, a whole range of different initiatives that that, that I think were, were needed and, and were important and and many of which worked. And I think um, so this, So my experience isn't all negative. It was actually that it was a chance to actually implement what you think, need, what we thought needed to be done for the sake of the country rather than for, for, for our party. Can I say that when I was saying yesterday that we shouldn't be fighting the last war? Yeah, I was referring back, but it wasn't really just to the political situation. It's also that the economic situation is completely different. Um, firstly, because this recession, and we're in a very severe recession, is because of an external factor. It wasn't of our own internal doing, and, and it's, it's happening all over the world. But also, the economic situation is is different, again, in terms of the first one of the differences. This time, the European Central Bank is turning the tap on full right from the start. But also, there's a different situation. This is the point I was trying to make. People say, oh, austerity, and they're worried about, you know, kind of that sort of approach. Well, firstly, I don't hear anyone, any economist of note saying that that would be the correct approach to managing our way out of this crisis. Everyone agrees that I've heard of any economist of note saying, no, this is the time to borrow and stimulate and put in a stimulus and not to contract. But secondly, just, and this is a very broad point, but the kind of the old neoliberal order, the kind of the the markets knows best kind of, uh, Thinking, which was uh, which was there as a as a as a kind of a, as the stated kind of position across the world from the late seventies, early eighties, right through to two thousand and eight, I would argue, that's no longer credible. I don't think anyone believes that that actually is is the way forward in terms of economics. And what actually is coming now as the alternative credible economic model is the what you might call a green new deal, is the investing in tackling the climate and biodiversity crisis and in doing that, creating a new economy that's more sustainable environmentally, but also socially. And uh, and so if you look at what the European Commission is saying in their economic response, it's all about investing and investing for the long term and, and changing the economy as you do that. So if we kind of fixate and think, oh, God, this is going to be to a rerun of 2007, 2009, you're missing the bigger picture of what's actually happening in the world. And the very different view around what the right thing to do is economically, and, and that's the point I was trying to make. It isn't going to be austerity. It's going to be investment, a real focus on investment in capital, particularly on public housing, public health, public transport, and climate uh, action. And and it's um, and and that's not just me saying that. That's the European Union saying that, and uh, most people I talk to in politics, uh, in other parties, acknowledging that. So. That's and it's not going to be easy, and and nothing is certain in terms of how severe or how difficult the economic recovery is going to be. But the strategy is the right one, and I think it's a green one.
1: But isn't it a problem then? And it's fine, to, of course, to have differences of opinion within one party, and that's what makes a party makes a party work. But if your finance spokesperson, not a hurricane, did completely disagrees with that. She used the austerity word again and again in terms of what she sees coming down the line. She doesn't see this brave new world of a a new kind of economics or a new kind of politics happening as far as we can see.
2: And that's why I mean debate is very healthy. I mean I think it's really useful having someone like NASA who's actually questioning that in terms of because and I think to a certain extent it got into slight war words where Fianna like you know, kind of were pushing the the kind of uh, deficit reduction as, as the key issue. And I don't think it is. I mean, I, and I what I'm going to do is just quote from the programme for government itself, not like it's Bible or anything like that, but just. Um, um, but it's on, on page twenty three. It says we will eliminate borrowing for current spending in the first instance, while still borrowing for. Capital spending in areas like housing, healthcare, infrastructure, transport, education, and climate action. So that's the plan, and that's the medium-term plan. The immediate plan is is by in July we will introduce a stimulus, uh, an emergency fund to try and get help people get back to work. And in October there'll be a national plan which sets out how you do that sort of capital spending and how you. So so that's the actual written down. This is the this is the plan, and, and if there is any balancing of budgets to be done, it'll only be done in the context of growth returning and employment returning and and things lifting. So it's not like you know, kind of, we're going to cut our way out of this, even in three or four years time, if the. Uh, if the economic situation hasn't turned around, it's not like you're, you're going to reverse engines and do things in a different way. What we would have to continue to do is to invest in capital infrastructure to get the economy lifted and working again. And 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 now listen, that language and and those views were hard fought in the negotiations. I thought it was very helpful and good having NASA there saying, no, don't don't go down the austerity route, don't go down the, the um, cutting route. Um, And I think the end agreement, from my perspective, uh, I'm going in with the view that it's two or three years borrowing and stimulus, review where we are, but come what may, we're going to continue the capital investment because that's what needs to be done.
1: Harry, do you think, um, I've noticed Dermot Ferreter writing about this, that... the, the nature of Irish politics now, the the fact that there are more political parties in the mix, which therefore has an impact on the shape of governments which will be formed. This will be the first, I think, real three-party coalition. Some people might point to 1948 maybe as, as, as one. But really, uh, it's the first kind of expression of this, should, should it come to pass. Does that make for a different dynamic than the traditional Irish big party, small party, small party gets screwed at the next election dynamic?
0: Um, when I heard the name uh, German Ferreter being mentioned there, I thought maybe uh, it might be nice easy question from German, like will Dublin win the All Ireland this year or will Kerry <laughs> be able to triumph? But um, in terms of the triumvirate, well, we've had triumvirates quite a lot. I mean, if you go back to 2007, the, the remnants of the PDs were, were there. In 94 to 97, we had the Rainbow Coalition involving three distinctive um, parties, Ah uh, finnegail uh democratic left left, and labor and we must remember that ah uh, for um finnegail and John bruton in particular uh, there there was a huge antipathy to democratic left in in the run up to that November election in nineteen ninety two and in, in the end, uh, those three parties worked quite well uh together, and that was a successful government uh they Bertie Ahern bested them uh, uh, almost against the run of play really in in the nineteen ninety Seven election, but you saw three parties, uh, quite disparate in terms of of uh, worldview. I mean, democratic left was still considered to be a relatively radical party a- at the time, even though it had mainstreamed to a certain extent. And very soon after that, nineteen ninety seven election, it kind of uh, reversed b- back into the Labour Party and morphed with the with the Labour Party. But still, I mean, in those in in nineteen ninety four, uh, when that coalition was suggested. Um, uh, certainly uh, uh, they were kind of um, echoes of 1948 and the kind of the more unusual combinations uh, that we've seen uh, in Irish uh, political uh, history. So I, 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 you know, I think the dynamic between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will be more interesting uh, as to the dynamic between Fianna Fáil and the Greens and, Gael and, and the Greens, uh, because we kind of know where the Greens are coming from uh, vis-a-vis the other two. Uh, it'll be the kind of the dynamic and interaction between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and that most unusual combination in government uh, that would be the most interesting to see. And just to, as a, a codicil there, just going back to what, to what the previous discussion uh, when you were talking about austerity, that was one of the things I thought was very interesting yesterday. The kind of the polar opposite views of uh, what this uh, programme for government meant in terms of economics We had NASA and Eamon sparring a little at the end. But earlier we had Roderick O'Gorman making a a, a fine speech in which he uh, spoke about saying this is not uh, an austerity uh, budget. This is a stimulus uh, budget. And he was very adamant about that. And then several hours later, uh, Lorna Bogue, who was one of those campaigning against um, uh, um, this program for government, uh, in her contribution, was equally adamant on the other side saying this, there is no doubt about this, this is an austerity uh, budget. So that's one of the kind of the points uh, of conflict or conflagration that we saw during uh, the course of the day in terms of the internal debate within the Greens.
1: Yes, indeed, Eamon. And funny, I was just looking at a, an interview on joe.ie, I think it was. Um, um, it ended up on Twitter, a six-minute video interview uh, with Sirta McHugh. And she was saying, among other things, something she said before, which is that if the Greens go into coalition with Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, she'll be leaving the party. And the reasons she cited for that were, uh, the ones I noted were, um, the, the, the the failure to address homelessness, u um, s military planes at Shannon and the occupied territories bill, so one of the things I found interesting about that was none of those are what I would have always have thought of traditionally as core green environmental issues, climate change, biodiversity, et etc
2: I think they are core I, I think we found our founding principles were based on well numbered but but four key pillars: one is ecological imperative, and secondly, the social justice has to come with that in a new economy. But the third one is non-violence in 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 everything in the nature of politics, but also in in international affairs. So, um, what happens in uh, with our peacekeeping forces? What happens in Shannon Airport? What happens in Palestine? What happens in in EU migration policy and so on? It is actually core to what our party has always been about. And, and the, what I was saying, I suppose, in that yesterday as well. If I can't maybe just reiterate the point is is that in a number of areas now, we have a chance to influence those policy areas. One of the first things this government's going to have to do is set up a unit in the Department of Taoiseach, which is looking at how we have how we operate a shared island in this country in a post-Brexit world, which is going to pull it apart. We need to actually think of the further development of the peace process in that way, uh, um, in working out how we do. And it's about a shared island. The language is important. It's it's not kind of pushing one particular agenda. Uh, and, and I was saying in that, I hope that there'll be a green voice in the room in that unit and, and in those meetings because we are an all-island party. We come with a very non-sectarian kind of peace-first approach to, to our politics, as other parties do. But but I think we'd bring a particular spec- perspective. And secondly, and, and what's at play here in terms of where we sit We five other governments, Green parties in government at the moment in Europe and often in very difficult coalition arrangements, actually. But having a seat in the European Council meetings is critical in issues like climate policy or migration policy or digital policy. It's that ability to be to 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 be part of a European green team which steers Europe and by steering Europe hopefully the world in a certain direction that's a hugely important development and even thirdly in terms of the UN and peacekeeping I mean having that seat in the UN Security Council now to you know that's a really opportune moment and to have a government which is a green element in it I think may help how we how we use that uh, and lastly on palestine because it is important it, it it's important for for people of all different parties but ours as well and actually, one of the last changes made to the document uh, over the last few days when we're negotiating, one of the last issues that had to be resolved was around the Palestinian issue. And again, I just going to quote from it, because I think all three parties agree on this, and I'm sure other parties in the door would too, where we say we will work to ensure that all parties respect their obligations under, under international law and oppose the maintenance and expansion of illegal segments in the occupied Palestinian territory. Now, we're agreed on that. And, and we, I think, got the vote in the UN Security Council. I was reading what Simon Coveney was saying today. In part, I think because the Arab and the African world realised that we are actually slightly different. We have strange history, historical connection to Arab nationalism uh, And for whatever combination of different reasons, we tend to speak with a different voice on these issues than some other European countries. And that is important. That's not a small thing. And it's something I think we will have to pertain, particularly because in the coming months, we could see further annexation of areas in the West Bank. And it'll be up to the Irish government within a European context to try and respond to that. So these things are important. And what went into the agreement in the end, that language, sort of language I mentioned there, that's not insignificant language in where we stand internationally. The Palestinian authorities, the Israeli government, and others know that they're reading that, and they read into that a very clear signal, in my mind.
1: And that's quite rightly a very strong defence of the overall Green Party policies in, the, in, a, in, a, in a broad range of in a broad range of areas. But I mean, I asked people on Twitter, as I do sometimes, for if they had any questions for you before we before we started recording this, and, and one person who voted Green at the last election uh, in the hope if not the expectation, that the Greens would enter government and have a significant effect on the core questions of um, of climate crisis in, in particular. Um, ask me to ask you, what happens if the party rejects going into coalition and decides to stay out of government? What do you say to somebody who voted because of the climate crisis this time, last time out?
2: Well, I'd find it very difficult because people know my view. I I would share the views of that person that that is that there that, that there's a certain urgency, and I suppose as leader, I'd be disappointed if I wasn't able to 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 bring our party in that regard. But we are a democratic party. I I agree with the sort of two thirds majority rule we have. I think it it has real benefits in the long run. So. We'd have to assess. Uh, I think it'd be, it'd be quite. I think what the Taoiseach said is true. It'd be kind of. It'd be a very uncertain time. We we, we would we will the DAW will be reconvening um, on Saturday the twenty seventh, the day after the votes are counted within the three parties. If any one of them says no, it's hard to see what will happen. I presume a Taoiseach would still be elected because we do have an issue of legislation the following Tuesday that has to be passed with regard to the special criminal court. So I would imagine a Taoiseach would be elected, but it it, it would be a very unstable situation. And I keep mentioning, I go back to this, I'm old enough, uh, you might remember this too, uh, Hugh and Harry, that um, that period in the early mid-80s when we had similar problem with a lot of young, long-term unemployed and we couldn't, our political system couldn't make decisions and we had three elections in 18 months. And that in my lived lived experience made the problem worse and migration worse. And I do think all of us at this time, like the really big issue is the large number, particularly of younger people who are unemployed in the moment, who don't have easy get-out clauses this time in, in, through, through migration. And I'll be honest, I my first thoughts in terms of in this program for government or in anything what happens with relation to government is as difficult as it's going to be, as risky as it is, it's we have to get those people, give them, you know, kind of get help, get jobs back, help get people working. And and uh, so I think whatever government was formed, it, it would hopefully spend the next six months focusing on that. But I think it would be much more difficult because um you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have this plan you wouldn't have this kind of economic plan which is written out in this program for government and and people can be critical of the plan and and you know they could be better one way or the other but what mike ryan said at the start of this COVID crisis in health terms i think it equally applies to the economic terms get on with it get going do things don't 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 hold back it, it, and that's why i'd be disappointed if the vote didn't go through
1: in relation to the plan, Fear Kelly was laughing at me the other day when I said to him, "I couldn't understand for the life of me what the hell the paragraph about biogenic methane yeah. actually meant." And he said, "Well, it was written to uh, for you to have that reaction." Is is that fair?
2: No, I, I think. Um, and again, there is a lot of confusion on this, but uh, um, we are we're going to do, and this is the biggest change, the most difficult, the most challenging, huge change: a seven percent per annum reduction, fifty-one percent over ten years, and that will include all sectors. And yes, you kind of you, we would count biogenic methane in it separately because it it is very significant. It's about thirteen million tons out of the sixty one million tons we record in the European Union system. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't out. It is going to reducing that is going to be uh, as much a part as as what we do in transport as what we do in energy. Now, now probably a lower percentage reduction because it's more difficult to change, and in agriculture. Probably the focus will initially be on the reduction of nitrogen oxides. So the reduction, reduced use of of nitrogen fertilisers and that, too, will have a very significant effect in terms of reducing emissions. And the benefit of it is, is that, well, firstly, you can help reduce farming costs. So you're you're spending less on fertiliser will save the farmer money. And by switching to really modern farming techniques, really advanced grass management techniques where you've got a mixed sward, where you're putting in clovers, which naturally holds nitrogen or pulls nitrogen into the soil from the atmosphere, um, it's actually possible to get a really a really high quality, uh, advanced farming system where it's greener, with we'll, origin green in everything, and, and we can get a better price for that. Uh, and... Uh, that's the way we're going to go. So um, the method, the language on biogenic methane was saying, yes, we counted separately, but we don't count agriculture out. And, and I think that was the right decision.
1: Harry, can I ask you, judging by, particularly by what, I know you've been talking to Green members all the time, but what you observed yesterday, is this process um, that the Green Party is going through at the moment likely to be a productive exchange of views, a, a good exercise of democracy, or might it have some scarring impact on the party?
0: Well, I mean, the party has already been a little uh, scarred. I mean, the Greens have prided themselves on being the only party where personality and backstabbing and blood spilling, (laughs) you know, they shoot, they shoot it in real life. And they also say they shoot it in policy, in in politics. But there's been a fair bit of it, especially on social media um, over the last uh, couple of weeks. And um, certainly uh, the kind of the tensions around the question of leadership and around the program for government have split the party, and they haven't been able to decouple that from emotion. And we've seen some uh, we've we've seen some pretty uh, um, ott uh, reaction from from some members of the Green Party to 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 various uh, disputes, and we've seen kind of personality clashes uh, arise. And it's something that we haven't really seen in 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 the party before, but it's been very evident. At this time, but that being said, I mean, I think that yesterday the whole focus was on policy, and I think when it comes down to it at the end of the day, uh, the, the program for government will be decided by members on the basis of whether they think the program is strong enough or not uh, for their particular set of, of uh, principles. So um, uh, I, I think the, I, I think the, the reaction to to uh, it really depends on the constituency. I think if you look at the rural constituencies, I think there's going to be strong backing uh, from Green Party members for the programme for government. I think in some Dublin constituencies, there will be strong backing as well. But I think that in other constituencies, which might be slightly more working class or where there are lots of young Greens or people who've come in through various um, uh, movements like, like uh, the repeal movement, uh, like other social justice movements, like Extinction, Extinction Rebellion, and uh, maybe the uh, support levels Will not be quite as high. So crudely, you could say that the, uh, in general, but not always, the uh, the the support of members has tended uh, to follow uh, the the, um, the the lead of the particular public representative that's most prominent in a particular area. That's the general rule, but it's, of course there are as many exceptions to it uh, as there are uh, things that that kind of prove it. So um, you know, I mean, the one of, the, I mean, yes, there are more people. I'd say favourite. So there will be a majority who will support it within the Green Party, but those who are opposed are are quite are are very opposed. And they they you know for example, housing and homelessness is a big issue uh, for 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 a lot of Green members. And the days in which the Green Party was seen as just a, a solely environmental or ecology party have long gone. And the questions of social justice have always been there but have become more prominent in recent years. And um, Nasa Hoorigan and others were arguing yesterday that you can't uh, separate them from each other, that they're inextricably linked, that the issue of homelessness, uh, of housing, of poverty, of inequality, they can't be considered uh, separately to uh, emissions reductions and and what have you. And uh, for some of those people, just the programme for government hasn't provided them Uh, with enough to get them over the line. The Land Development Agency, for example, yesterday was something that featured very prominently in the debate. Those who were arguing against, for example, were saying that there was a profit motive uh, behind it and it would mean that 60% of public land would have to be sold off. I mean, others on the other side quibbled uh, with those assertions, but that was one of the big issues that was uh, prominent. So, I mean, the convention was important yesterday, but it's not the, the the be all and the end all. And I think that each of uh, uh, the public representatives and all members of the Green Party uh, will be very busy over the next week on Zoom conferences, on phone calls and in personal contacts as long as as far as they can go in terms of trying to convince other members of the Green Party uh, to uh, vote for or, or against. And I think it's something that will go uh, right to the wire. And it's going to be a bit of a cliffhanger on Friday because we're going to have all three parties announce the uh, results of their particular uh, um, uh, elections. Uh, it's a lower bar for Fianna Fáil. It needs 50 percent. Uh, but Fianna Fáil, you know, it's not going to they're not going to all reunite behind uh, behind the party going into government. I think there'll be a significant minority within the party who will vote against. But I think they'll get their 50 percent. Uh, Fine Gael, it's an easier uh, job for Fine Gael. Uh, because they have a, a different system of, of election. It's a kind of a, a voting college. And the parliamentarians, TDs and senators, hold 50% of the vote. So that's essentially a foregone conclusion Fine Gael are going to support. But having said that, um, I was talking to some members uh, around uh, the country last night and uh, one person in a Dublin constituency said that there was a lot of sentiment uh, being expressed by, by members against going into coalition with Fianna Fáil and with the Greens, but maybe they're able to do that because they know that they don't have to kind of back it up with a vote, as it were, because the decision has already effectively been made and maybe some of them are only venting. But there is a residual feeling within uh, Fine Gael, among some, that it's not a good idea for them to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil and uh, with the Greens.
1: That may be so, but I have to say I'm 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 putting Finnegall in the bag. I always, I've always so much of an attention span, I and mean, I think it would be a major shock if if were to be voting against it.
0: The process that they have, here, of course, it's in the bag because you know it's a special, delicate convention. So, and it's the parliamentary party that holds sway, and the parliamentary party have already voted very, very heavily in favour of it. Yeah,
1: so I think we can take that as a given. Eamon, I wanted did want to ask you one other thing, and um, and, and before I ask you, I should say that we're not, I'm not. Climbing on any high horse here, the Irish Times, I think, was um, fell foul of the press council for using the n word fully spelled out uh, at some point in the last twelve months, and I think you know contested that decision. There is that these these things are are have changed in the culture quite a lot, um, quite recently, and therefore people make mistakes. Um, You acknowledge you made a mistake when uh, you use that word in full in a speech. That all actually quoting an Irish Times article uh, as it happens. Um, Can I ask you two questions about that? One is what was your thought process at the time? And secondly, what do you think of the people who said that it was quite unseemly um, for members of your own party to jump on you as enthusiastically as some of them seemed to do in the aftermath?
2: Um, I didn't, I, to be honest, I, maybe i just a slightly different sense of that because I was annoyed with myself because I think it was a mistake. I, I think there's a good reason why that civil code is in there Around that word and 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 this whole area, because language has been used as a weapon, and and it needs to be put put away and and not able to be used, and and that's why that code is there. And, and I think it's correct. So I think it was a mistake. I personally, think it, uh, if someone's criticising me for that, I'd say okay, I'll accept the criticism. Um and. Why I made it, the honest. Um, I well, at first I was very annoyed with myself because I think the point I was making in the speech was all about how we combat racism, and it was about in Ireland now looking at. Um, why is it that we have such we have some schools that are highly integrated, and but others are not at all, and and that needs that segregation needs to stop in in schools. You know, some schools have got a huge number of new Irish, a lot of other schools have none, and that should change. And same in the um and I, I have to say, just a chance aside, the Tom and I didn't get a chance publicly yesterday to to pass to to mark his passing, and I can't. And um, and to and to pass on our thoughts to his family, um, but our Gardaí, um have have only one in two hundred new Irish, as, as, and that's what I was making in the speech. Now, what happened, I suppose, is and then I was referring to Sean that very good article in the Irish Times opinion pages, which was giving writing from the experience of a six-year-old, and. Being being that word being used, and it's I suppose it's just in retelling it, I had a sense of the emotion of that, uh, I, 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 and used the word in that way, and and that was that was a mistake. I, I could have just used it in the same way that he had done in, in the asterisks, as it were, in a verbal way, and um uh, and that tends to that mistake was because I I'm not reading a speech; I am trying to. Um, kind of argue the points in in a way that I do, which is which is um, speaking my mind. Um, but but it was it was a bad mistake, and and I regretted it. And and I don't uh, have any um, ill will to those who maybe were critical of it, critical who made critical comments about me.
1: Finally, if this doesn't succeed next week, if you don't achieve the um, the two thirds majority. Um, does that make your position as leader untenable?
2: Ah, listen, I, that's the last thing on my mind, and and I'll wait and let's wait and see what happens. I mean, if what Harry says is true, it'll be a very—I um, can't remember—a similar uh, moment. Well, I suppose in our own party we, we've had votes in the past, but but then, um, it wasn't where two other parties were voting at the same time, and and it wasn't with such a dramatic timeline and, and also a long process leading up to it. So. I don't think any of us, my colleague Katzen Martin was on, on radio this morning and, and saying something that I, I would repeat and say the same. I don't think we should think or look at the leadership thing until after next weekend because that's the first and most important decision. That's what the Irish people are concerned about more than anything else and and we should concentrate on that for the next week.
1: And a last thought from you, Harry. Does this impending leadership election, does that inflect the nature of this discussion within the Green Party at the moment?
0: I think actually the party, last week it did, and I think it was hard to kind of separate the two last week. But I think that, that things have moved back into focus. Both both uh, people who have who have declared or are about to declare have kind of backgrounded the leadership contest. I think they've done it successfully this week. And I think the focus this week is and next week, I think, will all be about the programme for government. I think that people have agreed to to, to a, a stay on that. The the, the just two other th- just two other final thoughts, just in relation to the use of the N word. Um, it, it, it you know it was a kind of a benign use. I think it was misconceived for Eamon to 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 use the word. I think he acknowledged that afterwards. I think Jerry Adams did the same in twenty sixteen. Uh, when he reacted slightly too much, uh, after seeing Django unchanged on, on on Netflix or, or in the cinema. Uh, and he apologised uh, for that. I think some of the reaction from Green Party members, you would have expected better from them. It was completely disproportionate. And you could see that there was a tincture of toxicity there. And the other thing that's interesting about the Greens is just this huge explosion of membership in the party over the past three years, going up from about seven or 800 to 3,600 in the course of less than three years, even two years. So there are so many new members, and it's hard because so many of them are new. It's very hard to gauge where exactly they are in relation to all this question about coalition, a question about where they are on the left-right axis, uh, whether they are, um, you know, uh, on the environmental wing of the party or on the social justice wing or in between, uh, whether they are fundos or uh, fundies or relos or whatever kind of uh, brand you want to have at the same the same. And that adds a, a a note of uncertainty to this contest. And there are imponderables from the Northern membership, imponderables from the new members. So that's what makes this co- contest so intriguing and so fascinating. And I just agree with what Eamon's assessment is. I think it's going to be very close. And I think it would be a, a fool who would call it. But... Um, <laughs> I I tend to be one of those fools, but I think I I just find it very hard. I think it it might just pass, but um, but if it does pass, it'll be but by a very very slender margin.
1: <laughs> Eamon's laughing at you there. Uh, why are you laughing,
0: Aymon?
2: Li- listen to the fool in King Lear. The wisdom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. You're too kind. We will leave it on that
1: literary note. Thanks very much indeed to Eamon and to Harry for joining us today. Thanks to our producer, Suzanne Brennan. And if you would like to support this podcast and the work that we do at the Irish Times, there's one thing you can do. You can go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe where you can sign up for the remarkable price of €1 for the first month. And if you do want to get in touch with us, we are always delighted to hear from you. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.